Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, the 29th of October, 2020. Do you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? I'll never forget that day in my own life, even though I was still a high school student at the time. I remember my principal walking into my classroom there in first period and saying that somebody had flown a plane into the World Trade Center. And I remember passing from first period to second period and walking into my homeroom class to my locker and seeing both of the Twin Towers on fire. And there in that moment, in between first and second period, that fateful Tuesday morning, watching on live television as the first tower collapsed and fell. I will never forget those images. I'll never forget the sorrow that I felt on that day, uh, seeing the worst thing that had happened in my nation in my lifetime. And I think about that day, which I'm trusting many of us remember, that it's the only thing I can think of in in my lifetime, at least in our nation, that even begins to get us the direction of what we're going to see experienced in the book of Jeremiah today, where we see the fall of a nation, we see the destruction of Jerusalem, which was more complete than just a couple of landmark buildings being destroyed or damaged like the Pentagon was that day, but a whole city destroyed and really a city and something of significance, the temple, the whole center of their way of life. Even as we've seen earlier in Jeremiah, the temple being there was one of the reasons Jerusalem will never be destroyed because the temple of the Lord is here. And so the shock and the grief that they must have experienced that day is really unlike anything we've experienced. It's beyond anything that we've experienced. But now, Think again about September 11th and how you felt that day. How would you have felt if you knew it was going to happen? How would you have felt if not only did you know it was going to happen, but you were actively trying to warn people that it was going to happen and you were telling people what they could do to avoid it happening, but the people didn't listen to you and it happened anyways. Now we're starting to really think about what it must have been like to be the prophet Jeremiah. So we open up our Bibles and we read Jeremiah 39 through 41 today. Jeremiah 39 through 41. And we see there in chapter 39, the fall of Jerusalem. And we see Jeremiah in this chapter, he gets delivered, but the bad things that he said were going to happen happen. The bad things that he has been warning people about happen. Even in chapter 38, he specifically warned Zedekiah to give himself up. But Zedekiah doesn't. He flees and it's it's tragic what has happened. He gets caught and his sons get slaughtered before his eyes. And then it says they put his eyes out. So the last thing Zedekiah ever sees with his eyes, are his sons being put to death. What what a tragic ending. But we know if we've been reading the whole book, this was 
entirely avoidable on, on, on some level because Jeremiah was specifically warning the people and very specifically warning Zedekiah, but the people did not listen to him. And we're going to see more of that even as, as we continue with the story. We see a little bit of people not listening. What we see in chapter 40 is Jeremiah reign, or remaining in Judah and they set up a governor to, to rule the land, this man named Gedaliah. And we see he is warned, hey, Gedaliah, this guy's coming to kill you. And he doesn't listen. And guess what happens? He gets murdered. And we're going to see this just kind of devolving into more and more of a mess. But there is Jeremiah uh, trying to do the right thing. And, and it's amazing to look at Jeremiah so much. We don't read of him saying, well, I told you so. And just being angry or bitter or superior he is continuing to be faithful to what God calls him to do. He is uh, clearly what we'll see from Lamentations. He is grieving over what is happening. We don't see arrogance. We don't see bitterness. We just see continued faithfulness to what God had called him to do, even though people had not listened to him and people were now paying the consequences for not listening to him. But that gets me thinking about some other passages today. And now we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 22. We finish 1 Peter 3 today. And we need to, I don't know if we've discussed yet, but 1 Peter really seems to be written to Christians that are dispersed through, it's, we think, some kind of persecution. Because a lot of the letter seems to be getting them to focus on hope. And even we see a theme of them uh, really persevering through being mistreated. And that's kind of what we see today. Think of that context. They are being persecuted. They are being mistreated. And it's in the midst of that that they are told this in verse 8. Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so what we see here is that they're clearly being told, don't return evil for evil. And remember, the context is they're being treated in an evil way many times because they are Christians. And that's where I see some connections with Jeremiah that he was being mistreated for doing the right thing. And he reminds us in verse 13 that, that there's less chance we're going to be harmed if we're trying to do what is right. We, we kind of get reminded here that a lot of the trouble in our lives we bring on ourselves, but there clearly is, hey, some trouble is going to come across us if we are being faithful to Christ because the world is not going to like that. And so we need to honor Christ as holy. We need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. And we need to be ready to suffer for doing the right thing. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And then we see some of the reasoning why for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so we see, we saw this in chapter two as well. Christ is given the example. Why should Christians be willing to suffer unjustly for their faith? The answer is because that's what Jesus did. That's the example that he set for us. And I think as Christians, we need to look and realize our culture is not headed in a good direction. 
our culture is headed the direction we see the culture going in the prophet Jeremiah, headed more into sin. And and I think eventually it's going to come against the judgment of God. And as that happens more and more, we're going to see people wanting to do the right thing and honor God being persecuted. Are you ready for that day? And the scripture is calling us on that day as Christians, there's an extent to which we need to be ready to endure that suffering and take that suffering and follow the example of Christ who suffered unjustly for us. We would not be saved if Jesus hadn't willingly endured unjust treatment for doing the right thing. And there's going to be times and situations as Christians where that's the pattern we're going to have to follow. But then there's some interesting things. It talks about him being made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. That's an interesting uh, passage. And there's various explanations. And I don't, there's a few different explanations that I don't think are, are heretical. I've always understood that verse to be that Jesus in some way does go in a spiritual place to, to spirits, evil spirits in prison and kind of declares victory over them after his crucifixion. And I think that's where we understand what also motivates us to endure suffering, even when it's unjust. Well, one, that's what Christ did. And two, because Christ is victorious. And whatever unjust uh, rulers in this world may persecute Christians, there's going to come a day where they are proven wrong. And we will be vindicated in the end by our victorious Savior who proclaimed to the spirits in prison that victory that he has won. And that uh, gets me... Now, one more thing before we move on from 1 Peter. There's that interesting verse in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm, I'm getting saved when I get dunked in water? Well, look again there at the rest of the verse, which says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. So I think there it even is telling us, no, I'm not talking about the literal physical act of getting baptized that saves you. I'm talking about the substance of what baptism means and what it symbolizes. We are saved not through the work of getting dunked in water, but through faith in Jesus Christ, where we experience that cleansing, we experience so much of the symbolism that we see in baptism. That is what saves us. And the physical baptism we do is a sign of that salvation. So I think even right there in the verse, it makes it clear, I'm not talking about the removal of dirt from your body. I'm not talking about a physical rinsing and plunging into water. I'm talking about something more important than that. I'm talking about this appeal to God for from, for a good conscience, that that's what I'm talking about. So let's be clear with that, but let's move on now to Psalm 119, where again, I think we see some similar thoughts to what we are uh, talking about today. Today, we look at verses 121 to 128. And again, here you see the psalmist, there is some injustice going on and even I think persecution Look at the first verse there. It says, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. God, I'm doing the right thing, but still people are trying to oppress me, protect me. And even he calls out in verse 126, it is time for the Lord to act for your law has been broken. And that's where I think we need to look at our culture and say, wow, God, your law has been broken. It is time for you to act. 
And as you do that, we will follow the pattern of Jeremiah. We will follow the pattern that you teach us in 1 Peter of not returning evil for evil, not getting involved in some battle, but being compassionate and humble. That's what you have called us to do. And we will do that as we wait for you to act. And we will do this confident that Christ, he suffered for us, but he was also victorious. And last, we want to look at the words of Christ in John chapter 6, verses 25 to 40. And so here, the day before, he has fed the 5,000, an amazing miracle. And now the crowd has hunted him down, looking for more food, basically. And today we get into now Jesus teaching the crowd, and it culminates there in verse 35, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This amazing offer that Jesus makes there. But then as he goes on, he kind of makes it clear that he's pointing them away from this life. Don't work for the food that perishes. Think about eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the provider of this eternal life. And he comes back to this theme that he is not going to cast them out. Um, And in verse 39, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And that's the confidence that Christians could have. Even though we might see our world going down, even though we might see our nation judged, even though we might endure persecution, we know that Jesus is the bread of life. And if we trust in him and we look on him, he is going to raise us up on the last day. So we might look around at our nation or the nations of the world and they might be falling, but we know that we will be raised up on the last day because Jesus is the bread of life. We follow his example, we trust in his work, and we anticipate his final and full victory and, and living in a world where Jesus is king and he will reign forever and ever. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you.